Welcome to the Possibility Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton, a.k.a. Possibility Man. We're committed to bringing you guests who strive to better people's lives and serve as a force for good in the world. Our guest today is Elise Simon. She is an integrative wellness educator and practitioner. She's the founder of Inner Spark Integrative Wellbeing System. She supports clients in processing and cultivating a sense of well-being and physical health. Elise Simon, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Stefan. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. But first, a reminder to our viewers and our listeners, your support matters. Follow, like, and share this podcast wherever you find it. Elise, look, I got a ton of questions for you. Let me start with this one. I'm kind of curious about this. What was your career before you got into integrative wellness? Well, I have had an interesting trajectory. So I um, started out as a fashion designer. Um, I grew up right outside of New York City. And it wasn't like I was the kind of person that was like, oh, all I want to do is be a fashion designer. But I ended up going up to University of Vermont and studying both business and textile design. And uh, then I had um, decided that I wanted to try to pursue working in the fashion industry. I wanted to return back to New York City after spending four years in the mountains. Um, and so, yeah, I was fortunate enough to um, start as a merchandiser in the more of the business end of things. And then I became a designer. I designed um, the handbag collections for some of the top brands. Hmm. That's impressive. Do you still do that kind of work? Well, I still consider myself always a designer. Once a designer, always a designer. Um, and, you know, I just think that there's design in everything. I mean, you design your life. Uh, the possibility, action man, right? Um, you know, I think we're always designing or creating. It's really a creation thing. I see. Yeah. Okay. So what made you look in the direction of, let's say, integrative health? So um, I had spent, you know, I don't know if you saw the movie, The Devil Wears Prada, mm. but um, I actually did find the industry to be a bit like that. Um, so, but, you know, I'm so grateful. I got to travel all literally around the world um, as a fashion designer. And so from that, it really sparked my interest in uh, being able to design products. I mean, products are, are really and systems, services, you know, it's just, it, it is my great passion to be able to take something and make it better. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I, it, so I did that for about seven years. And then at the time, my husband's company was bought by Yahoo. And so we ended up moving out to California and I wanted to make the priority my son. Um, so I took some time, you know, to be a mother and then out in the, um, San Francisco area, I was able to start designing some products, um, in Oakland, California. Um, so, um, but what happened was I really, um, started to have symptoms. I, I went through a divorce and so I was having symptoms, physical symptoms, of ulcerative colitis. I was having trouble with sleeping. 
And fortunately at the time, my therapist um, who originally had been, had gone to Harvard. Um, so was back from the East coast and, but living in California had said that she had taken a class for eight weeks at the hospital and it was in mindfulness. Mm. And, um, it was really my first time of experiencing from a inside perspective, what it means to heal the mind, the body and the heart. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I was really heartbroken. I never thought that I was, I was someone that was gonna get married for life. And when, you know, this started to crumble and I knew I was gonna be a single parent, um, and, you know, I had also had a lot of gut issues, you know, in the traveling because traveling is very stressful. So I had learned at that time that stress is such a contributor. Um, the experiences that we go through in life, particularly traumatic experiences, so affect our health. And um, so when I do something, I do it all the way. And so I took a class uh, called MBSR, which is mindfulness-based stress reduction. And um, I took it very seriously. It was recommended, John Kabat-Zinn is the founder of that program, which I am now also a teacher of. Um, and I practiced you know, meditation uh, for 45 minutes every morning and 45 mm -hmm. minutes every evening. And you know, really followed the protocol. And it really did help. It really did help get me through what ended up being a four-year child custody evaluation and really ugly divorce. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I was able to live in the environment of California, which really supported, you know, these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so when I actually did move back to the East Coast, because that's where I wanted to raise my son uh, as a single parent, um, I became a teacher. Of, of mindfulness. And then from there, I went back for my master's um, in integrative health. I see. Okay. So you've mentioned mindfulness and integrative health. And I want to return, look at both of those a little carefully. A lot of people talk about mindfulness today. How do you see mindfulness? What is that? And why is it important? Well, so, you know, if you break it down, well, I'll, I'll give you the actual definition according to John Kabat-Zinn, which is one of my masters, or not masters, uh, what I got my masters in is mindfulness. He's one of my mentors. And he defines mindfulness as paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and the kicker is non-judgmentally. Mm. Um, and I didn't just um, become a teacher of mindfulness. I then layered in some other uh, um, trainings that I'm also, uh, I also use in many of my, my work with clients, which is a program called Mindful Self-Compassion. Mm -hmm. So once you kind of ground in an understanding and a practice of what is really foundationally focus and concentration, and what are you paying attention to? I then started to integrate these practices and I realized that it has so much to do also with our energy, mm. that we are energy bodies. And so I then expanded my um, qualifications and got trained in um, programs like nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. 
uh, which um, I have the, the chart here. I, like when I work with clients, I always use these charts and, and oftentimes, you know, I suggest that they use it on a daily basis, mm -hmm. um, which primarily was founded by Marshall Rosenberg, who was a psychologist. He's no longer alive, but his work is very much alive. And um, Martin Luther King, you know, was a part of the beloved community, which also is based in the nonviolent communication. And basically um, how this kind of ties into the integrative part and how it ties into mindfulness is to me, there's three, there's an awareness triangle when we look at mindfulness and, and I'm a mindfulness educator as well. And so at the top is thoughts, mm -hmm. sensations, and emotions. So oftentimes, you know, in this culture, people are looking at their thoughts, working with their thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, certainly there's a focus on body, but there's not a whole heck of a lot of practice of emotions, mm -hmm. working with emotions. And um, I'm sure, you know, maybe through LinkedIn, which is where we met, you will see some professionals talking about emotional intelligence mm -hmm. or emotional sobriety, you know, things like this. Mm -hmm. And um, what I have, you know, unpacked in many of the practices that I apply is that um, emotion is actually energy in motion. Mm -hmm. Well, you've given us a lot already. Let me let me jump in right here and, and ask this. Yeah. So, you, you have a lot of, uh, of techniques and, and practices, but what's the outcome of this? Let me, let me put the question this way. From where you sit, is it possible for a person to achieve or experience growth uh, from conditions that may bother them? That's such a great question. Um, and what I primarily focus on, what I've come to know as post-traumatic growth. Now, some people are put off by the word trauma. And I do wanna unpack that in a sense because there's big T and there's little t. And so, um, you know, kind of throughout our lives, well, as the Buddha said, the first noble truth is there is suffering, right? So throughout our lives, there's pain, there's pleasure, and there's neutral. So at the very core practice of mindfulness, we're noticing when the pains, when there's pain, pleasure, and neutral. Oftentimes, we're running from the pain. <laughs> we would like to not have the pain. We're going towards the pleasure. And much of the time, we're not even aware of the neutral, right? So to answer your question, um, I really feel that a big piece of mindfulness is about self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to growth, it's a, it's a decision and then it's a commitment, right? So it's, I'm not going to say, you know, it, it doesn't take work to become mindful or in, in particular self-aware. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if someone does commit to becoming more aware of the situations, you know, maybe there's limiting thoughts. Um, 
maybe a person thinks they're in their body, but they're not actually all that aware of subtle things that are going on in their body. Um, then, then what one has to know what's you and become aware in order to maybe grow past it. Yeah. It right? sounds like you're suggesting that this is a, you know, you can show people what to do and be with them, but it's an inside job that is, it requires inner work of some sort. Yes, but it does. I, in my experience, it does take learning. That's why I'm an educator because it one takes an understanding and it's a direct experience. It's not just, you know, listening on YouTube or reading a book, right? It's really something that I've come to know as something that's called attunement. So in order to um, start to get comfortable with sitting with yourself, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we're in a fast paced world, as you know, you mm -hmm. know, and to, and, you know, there aren't that many people that are able to go live in a cave or on a mountain, mm -hmm. right? The way that maybe, you know, the mindfulness, the original mindfulness practices, uh, you know, started. So it really does take a commitment for someone to say, you know what, it's really important to my growth mm -hmm. as a human being to make the commitment to know thyself. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, then, okay, so a person has to be committed to do something, but does, a, does every person have a sense of what they want to achieve in that respect? Well, that's why I've called my um, brand Inner Spark, okay. because I believe that everyone does have a spark. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there's maybe some people feel that they are living their life purpose, you know, um, but uh, over overall, it does seem like um, until someone is more in touch with what I have come to know as either the soul or the spirit, um, it, they may not be in touch with that spark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, you feel that you know, everyone has some type of inner truth, some type of inner knowing that they can get in, have to get in touch with? They don't have to. Nobody has to, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think, you know, and, and I have found that, you know, it's, it's getting younger and younger, but usually in what I call like the sort of second and third chapters of people's lives that they've, they've lived, right? And they, co they come into experiences where they start to question like, hmm, am I, you know, really here to do this, you know, mm -hmm. what am I here to do? And to your original question about growth, um, you know, this is where, you know, some people have a growth mindset. Not everybody has a growth mindset, you know, but the people that do that are wanting to evolve or awaken or whatever, or become enlightened, you know, like whatever it is, you know, that, that you're choosing to do, mm -hmm. okay. um, even just further your career. Yeah. Right. So, um, so in your practice and just from living, what kinds of things do people bring to you? What kinds of things from, you know, modern people uh, are faced with on a regular basis? What types of challenges? 
Yeah, well, there's, um, you know, stemming from the, the triangle, right? The thoughts, sensations, emotions. You know, there's a lot of doorways in. And usually, in my experience, pain is your teacher. Hmm. So, um, you know, you know, maybe you're having, and, and it's usually in five different areas I have found, you know, when I do an intake with someone, you know, I will assess five different areas. One is the mental, you know, like, how is your thinking? You know, do you feel like you're obsessively thinking, you know, there are, there are different areas in which, you know, the mental capacities could be affected. The other is physical, right? You know, people have physical challenges all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so we assess that. And I have found that, yes, there's Western medicine and more traditional ways of handling it. But oftentimes there are situations in which that isn't enough. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, maybe some of these other ingredients are contributing to what is not healing the physical. Mm -hmm. And some people really just take a physical lens. I happen to feel that all these other components, the, the mental, the, the um, emotional in particular, can be contributing to it. Maybe mm -hmm. even the spiritual, you know, mm -hmm. maybe you've been through like really difficult trauma, you know, veterans, first responders, you know, maybe you've had like a, a real serious trauma. And, you know, you may feel a spiritual connection, but you may have lost your, your soul connection, you know, because it's, it was so awful and it was so painful that you, you think, how could there be a God or mm -hmm. whatever it is, or universe is on my side mm -hmm. kind of thing. If you were to and list then, a couple, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, the fifth one is just relational or sexual. Mm. Okay. Um, but I want to get closer to what people are saying to you. And, you know, so if they're saying, look, I got a problem and this problem causes me to feel blank, what are they reporting? Uh, are there some specific conditions that they're reporting that they're experiencing? Yeah, I mean, I would say there's so many, but overarching, um, particularly with the warrior, like, cause I often will work with a warrior and a warrior could be anything from a single parent to a first responder, to an academic, you know, that's really challenged themselves in the educational realm and feels burnt out, you know, or a physician that is just giving too much. Mm -hmm. I would say overarching, it would be a um, needs not met. Uh -huh. So in, and in, in, in that has a lot to do with the nonviolent communication where people are overgiving or in situations where they're, you know, um, just not meeting their own needs or getting their own needs met. Mm -hmm. I see. So a person may report that they're experiencing burnout and they don't know why, and you help them get in touch with that and find ways around that. Is that what you suggest? That yeah, that's one way. Or, you know, for example, someone could be having brain fog, mm -hmm. right? But and then we will tie it to, you know, maybe there's gut issues, you mm -hmm. know, see, this is where everything is interconnected, or they're having relational issues, right? They're, they are having trouble with their marriage, mm -hmm. and they don't reach out and, and know, know what to do to have help. And that's affecting their physical health, right? Oh. So, it's all interconnected and what makes this a whole 
practice or integrative practice mm -hmm. is, you know, generally when someone goes to get traditional medicine, you know, they, they are on average given, given about seven minutes to, you know, talk about what the issue is. And then they're oftentimes treated, you know, with a pill or um, some other kind of intervention that's much more physical, mm -hmm. where, you know, when you're dealing with the whole system, it really, really helps to be something what I call compassionately communicated with. Mm -hmm. So is the thinking mind, and I know this shows up in your work, uh, our friend or is it an obstacle as, we, as we're trying to experience or move ourselves forward in our lives? I, I believe it's both, right? Mm -hmm. it, and it, it depends, like, you know, you've heard the saying, like, don't go into the bad neighborhood of the mind. So sometimes we have a fierce inner critic, especially those of us that are overachievers. Mm -hmm. And so many times, you know, people that are pushing themselves really, really hard you know, will um, be really competing with themselves, not even necessarily competing with others. Um, but, you know, they want more and more and more, you know, mm -hmm. and then it, it starts to feel like nothing's ever enough, you know? I so see. sometimes that's where our thoughts can be contributing to what is going on, where, you know, we're maybe not getting enough sleep, Right. Or we're not eating the right things because, you know, I'm so busy. Like, I, I'm just trying to like, I got to do this. I got to do that. Right. So, you know, it's important to be able to pause. Mm -hmm. So um, not understanding the mind, is that a blockage when it comes to human growth and evolution? Or can it be a blockage? Not understanding the mind. No, uh, not not listening to the mind not listening okay not necessarily understanding because that mm -hmm. that in itself can contribute to this over um obsessive thinking right mm -hmm. like i just want to understand especially for those of us that are academics mm -hmm. you know it's like i just want to understand i just want to understand right and sometimes like like einstein said you're not going to necessarily figure out the problem from within the problem Right. So sometimes you're like in your thinking and you're trying to understand. Right. So a big contributor is, you know, can you drop from the thinking mind into the feeling body? How does meditation help us do achieve what you just said? Go from thinking to feeling body. Yeah. So I just want to slow down. OK. So that's the first thing. Right. Um, so we, as human beings, are on automatic pilot most of the time, right? So one thing about meditation is it's inviting us to slow down. And particularly around the trauma piece of it, right? So if you are if you have been through little T, big T, the mind tends to want to ruminate about the things in the past, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing is to, you know, really be able to slow down. And you hear, you hear this from like all of the teachers, right? All of the wonderful mentors, the power of now, right? Yeah. This present moment, right? Yeah. Which sounds delightful, 
but it actually takes intention, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, okay, so first I want to intend to be in this present moment. So what does that mean? Well, let's investigate. Let's check in with the mind. Am I thinking about the past? Am I planning for the future? Like you could be sitting and meditating and you're thinking about what I'm going to cook for dinner, right? <laughs> so you're meditating on that, right? Yeah. So it really, really asks you to come into the body, mm. right? And so there are all these kinds of skills and tools that invite you to do that. Now, here's the other thing about trauma, right? These bodies are our vehicles, right? And so many times we have not always been very good to the body or someone else has not been very good to the body, right? There's, there's lots of traumas that take place. So you can get very triggered when you go into meditation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you, again, what are you meditating on? You, you may right. be meditating on the trauma that happened in the past and you're triggered and you're far from in a meditative state, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in respect, in respect to that, to trauma, you used the, 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 you used the phrase big T and little T. This is the first time I've heard that. When oh, you yeah? said big T, what are you referring to? And when you say little T, what are you referring to? Yeah. So, you know, Little t to me are these little things that happen continually throughout our lives. And generally, you know, you'll hear developmental psychologists talk about from the womb to seven years old, right? Those are very developmental times in our, in our minds, in our bodies, right? That, that's when we develop. And so little t to me often takes place in childhood. Mm. Like there are things, these little like injuries that happen to us. Maybe someone, you know, criticized us or, you know, maybe we didn't, we were, we felt abandoned. You know, there's all kinds of things that take place, you know, yeah. at that time that can contribute to the little T. And then as we mature or not, <laughs> but yeah. as we mature, you know, they're constantly coming up again, right? We're getting triggered in relationship or, yeah. you know, throughout the time where, so that is what I would consider to be the little t, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Those little things that are happening. connection with that though, because it's yeah. something that starts me wondering, what, yeah. if, you know, what if there's a child that's like two, three, four, five, six, and the child's parents are continually, continually telling him, be quiet, shut your mouth, you know, in a very angry kind of way. And as the child matures, the child feels that he, has lost his voice. Is that a part of little t? Most definitely. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. And that, you know, really, in literally, I will find that people will have throat or thyroid issues. Huh. You know, like it then metaphysically, you know, can often take place, you know, go into the body because we are made up of cells. And the ancestors, this is another big component to the little t as well. Okay. Our, the cells, our DNA are made up of our ancestors, at least seven generations back. Mm -hmm. So when we come into these bodies, and not everyone believes this, and I'm not saying everybody needs to believe this. I believe that our ancestors, like we, I feel that we incarnated for the ancestors. We said, ooh, ooh I'll come down. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and that, you know, that we have, you know, 
uh, we are doing the work for the ancestors, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so sometimes, you know, maybe a great, great, great grandfather was silenced in that way, yeah. right? And there you are, you know, maybe it wasn't even directly in this lifetime that you're being silenced, but you find yourself like having trouble, you know, with throat chakra, you know, like expressing or, you know, you feel shy or, you know, there's so many different ways that that can present. That's interesting. You're saying that some of this stuff may travel in your genes to a different time period and the person living now may be experiencing it. Wow. That is my experience. And uh -huh. that's why some of what I do within our Spark Studios is ancestral healing. Uh-huh, I see. Now, yeah. Big, yeah. big T, what is Big T about? Yeah, well, I think we're experiencing a lot of it right at the moment, you know, uh -huh. like, you know, war, um, you know, uh, like when I work with first responders, you know, um, many of them, the leader, you know, the chiefs, you know, running into a burning building and seeing horrific things, um, you know, big T or rape, crime, um, violence, you know, these all contribute to big T. Mm -hmm. The good news is. Okay. Yeah, tell there us is, the good news. There is good news. <laughs> I do believe it can be released, mm. but it does take the commitment mm. and the willingness. This is the thing, it's, it's an openness. And sometimes when, oh, a, a very big T is losing a child, for example, you know, um, that, that is a, a big T. And, and when that's happened, you know, from my experience, it can be, it can become complicated grief. Mm. And again, you know, maybe that happened three, four, five generations back, right? That a child was, and even like a mis miscarriage, you know? Yes. So these are all um, what I call in laying in the subtle body. Mm. Okay. Now, how does compassion that you've mentioned in a few times that I want to hook it in now, how does compassionate communication figure in in all of this that we're talking about? Not just one thing, but how does it figure in? Yeah, well, so, you know, we talk so much about love and kindness and forgiveness, you know, all these beautiful words, peace, inner peace. And in my experience, when someone commands, when someone says to you, you calm down, you know, that um, not all that successful often, mm -hmm. you know, because the defense system of the body will come up and, and probably resist. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah, I got you. But I'm sorry, you want you to finish, finish that thought for me? Well, yeah, I just wanted to say around compassion. But however, if a, um, a person is met, is, is fully met and heard and listened to and feels held, then there is the possibility, there might be the permission for that body to relax hmm. and potentially, you know, allow themselves to forgive, to love, to feel a sense of kindness. Hmm. So to me, that's at the very base of compassion. Okay. In our culture, 
uh, and I'm, this is just from what I observe, it's like we are trained to say it's important to speak truth to power. So that is, if someone is you know, acting in a certain way, it's not like you go in there with some nicety type of language. You go in to fight the situation. How can compassionate communication help us with this? If you follow me, if not, let's just- I'm loving this question. Okay. Not only am I following you, but so I'm, I have been so um, blessed to be able to work at times with law enforcement. Hmm. So if you think they go in and nice talk, um, yeah, that's not always happening. So there's such a thing as fierce compassion as well, right? Um, and where you see this, um, where I have seen it is in, in the kind of parent, the mother, like that, the mother that's able to lift the car, you know, if God forbid her child is run over, right? right. So this is, this is what I see power to compassion, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's also about standing up for yourself, mm -hmm. right? So yes. it's not just this empty, you know, we, and this is, this is what I think has in, in particular in the science, maybe until about maybe 20 to 25 years ago, it wasn't really studied. And some of my mentors like uh, Christopher Germer, Kristen Neff, and Paul Gilbert, um, I haven't worked with him directly, but they have done studies on, in particular, self-compassion, but compassion as well. Mm -hmm. And what has been misinterpreted is that um, compassion is weak. And the Dalai Lama, you know, I mean, he's, he's all about compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's been misinterpreted that actually compassion is something that's weak. But uh, apparently in the clinical studies, the opposite is the case. Yeah. So yeah. we are having to unlearn. And, and this is this is part of it. And, and this is not to say that compassion looks the same way in every circumstance, right? Mm -hmm. Every circumstance is the way that it is. And there is a yin and a yang piece to compassion. Mm -hmm. Kristen Neff actually talks about this. I, I uh, and uh, would recommend that you go and listen to some things that Kristen Neff teaches on this, as does Chris Germer. Um, and so, you know, there is the yin and the yang, right? Um, so sometimes you create this environment of compassion, right? But sometimes it's action, it's compassionate action, mm -hmm. right? Which would yeah. be more of the yang. Okay. So is compassionate communication the same as nonviolent communication, you know, the book that you mentioned, Arthur, a little while ago, is it the same thing or is it slightly different? Um, I think uh, nonviolent communication is a tool mm -hmm. for helping to get to compassionate communication. Mm -hmm. So compassionate communication in my um, understanding of it is that whether, um, what is going on is uh, whether the needs are getting met or the needs are not getting met, can we be in communication with ourselves or with others and bring compassion? Mm. Yeah, okay. Now, mindfulness shows up in your work as one of your practices that you share with clients. 
But I've also noticed that directed dialogue also shows up in your work. What is that? What do you do with that? So you're, you're calling it directed dialogue. I'm actually trained, and these are some of my other mentors, which um, Gregory Kramer and um, Dr. Janet Surrey, she is my direct mentor um, and oversaw my thesis. Um, and they um, teach a program, and he was the founder of it, Gregory Kramer, called Insight Dialogue. Hmm. And there are, I mean, I could do a lot of teaching on it, but basically there are six guidelines, six guidelines to insight dialogue. The first three are pause, relax, open. And I'm just covering it. This is just to say I've been practicing it for 12 years. Um, so it, it takes time, pause, relax, open. So that's where we use mindfulness and compassion in dialogue mm, okay. to gather insights. Mm -hmm. And then the next three are trust. It used to be trust. Um, well, now it's trust attunement. So we're trusting what's happening in the field of possibilities yeah. once we're paused, relaxed, opened. Mm. And then the next two are speak the truth and listen deeply. Mm. Now, speak the truth is not like you're lying, right? <laughs> although, although it could be, <laughs> uh -huh. um, but it's like speak your truth. Uh -huh. okay. Yeah, and and yeah. listen deep. And the biggest, the biggest one is listen deeply. Mm. Okay. Something else showed up as I was uh, scanning uh, what you do, and uh, I hope I got this get this right. But it seemed to me that you were suggesting that a person can achieve mastery of the soul or at least something in connection with their soul. Is that about right? And, and how does that happen? I don't know about mastery, okay. but um, I do think that, well, in what I do with Inner Spark Studios mm -hmm. is to um, help a person to find harmony between their personality and their soul. Hmm. Okay. Right. So I believe we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm not sure there are some people, but I, I, in my experience, wasn't all that um, aware that of the soul. Mm. You know, and so I feel that I'm a bit of a soul educator, but there's also the human body and the personality, right? Yeah. And so, and that's what makes us all unique. So how can we find greater harmony between our personalities and our soul? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, in that regard, healing also shows up in your work, and you've used the word warrior. In fact, you used it earlier in this interview, warrior healing. Tell us about that. Take us into that. Yeah. So again, the Buddha, you know, uh, with his teachings, he was to me the ultimate, you know, teacher, um, educator, psychologist. And, you know, he, 
said it, he kind of deduced it this way to two wings of the bird, mm. wisdom and compassion, wisdom and compassion. And so we can be compassionate and not have such great wisdom, right? Or we could have great wisdom and not be all that compassionate, mm -hmm. you know? And so to me, that is kind of the ultimate healing of the soul, mm -hmm. you know, is how can we, you know, again, find a greater harmony between our wisdom and, you know, just because we're sharing our wisdom doesn't necessarily mean that someone else will find that to be their wisdom, mm -hmm. right? And then, and the same is true around compassion, right? Like I can feel like, oh, I wish that person was more compassionate and they could feel like I'm being really compassionate, you know? Right. So this is where my ultimate overarching theme is around relational practices. Mm. Mm. Do you also share that human beings have inner guides or have guides? I love your questions. Um, I do. Hmm. I do. I don't expect that everybody does. Oh, and I didn't answer the, the thing about warrior. Sorry. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but that reminded me um, because, and you would think law enforcement and warriors and guides, but um, they're, the key guide for, say, for example, law enforcement is hmm. Archangel Michael, um, the protector. Right. You know? Okay. Uh -huh. And so um, that is another big piece of it because really overarching, we as human beings want to be safe, yeah. feel safe, right? Like that's a really important thing to us. And there are circumstances in which we do go into fear, right? And so when you hear that, that saying, love over fear, Right. Sometimes situations are out of our control. Right. Especially with traumatic situations. Mm -hmm. Right. They feel really out of our control. And so that's when I feel like it can be incredibly helpful to tap into our guides. Yeah. And yeah. they can be ancestors. They can be actually ancestors, in my opinion, working from the other side. Uh -huh. They can be angels, they can be a tree, you know, like, this is the thing that makes it universal for me. Hmm. You know, it's like, you don't tell someone else what their, who their guides are, you know. Well, how can a person find out? You know, someone may say, Elise, I want to know who my guide is. How can I find out? <laughs> well, one, you know, it's a willingness. Hmm. <laughs> and then, in my opinion, it's opening to the heart so to me that's where the heart work comes in right so um oftentimes if someone is blocked you know like they've been through terribly heartbreaking situation right yeah. um they might lose their faith in their guides mm. right so that's where the healing, and, and that's in particular why I choose to work with the warrior, uh -huh. right? Because I think, I personally think everybody has a guide, mm. but I certainly can be very understanding 
of why a warrior, like a veteran, you know, would um, possibly, you know, feel like they want to be in touch with their guides, but may not be actually feeling it in their bodies. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. yeah. Okay. So does your company, InnerSpark, offer programs that are available to the public? And if so, what sort of programs do you offer? Well, at the moment, I'm developing the course mm -hmm. um, to primarily, you know, work with um, a com and integrate a lot of, of these different systems. But I also want to mention recovery, um, like the 12 steps and okay. ACA and, and programs like that. I, I think that those are very instrumental in uh, forming a spiritual belief as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm forming course, but um, I'm also working directly with clients that are looking to connect with their guides and mm -hmm. also to find their inner spark, you know, as, as far as their sole purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as we conclude, Elise, um, is there anything else that you want to share with us that I have not asked you already? Um, I love to connect directly with people. So I'm going to ask really uh, turn it around and ask you because uh -huh. you found me on LinkedIn and you were really interested in interviewing me. So I'm really curious. I'm really, really curious about what it is that I'm doing that had spi spiked your curiosity. Uh -huh. Integrative wellness caught my attention. And I'm sure that will appeal to a lot of people watching or listening to this podcast. So look, I'm happy that you're doing what you do. It certainly has been great having you on the show today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. And have a wonderful weekend. Okay. You've been listening to the Possibility Action Network podcast. Our guest today has been Elise Simon. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton. Until next time, good day. Not alone, just keep on.